So King Solomon was one of the greatest kings of Israel, if not the greatest, and he really stood as a very unique individual and a very, very unique leader. King Solomon was a man who was, we could say, full of contradiction and complexity, um, an individual who we could say we struggle to understand. He was the wisest of men who made us, we'll see, some foolish mistakes. He was a great sage. He was a prophet, yet he struggled with um, his inner temptations. And so the story of Solomon, as told, is told in the book of Malachim, in the book of Kings, um, where it speaks about all the kings, but it starts at the very beginning, it speaks the first 12 chapters are about King Solomon, as well as in the book of Divrei Hayamim, the book of Chronicles, which also most of it speaks about the kings of Judah, the, uh, the king's descendants of David. There are also countless Midrashim, um, Midrashic um, traditions about King Solomon. Uh, many of them are based on the books that he wrote. We'll talk about those books in just a moment. So who was Solomon? So Solomon was the son of King David, who was the second king of Israel. Um, the first king was King Shaul, King Saul. David was Saul's son-in-law, but from a different tribe, while Shaul was from the tribe of Benjamin. David was from the tribe of Yehuda. Um, so Solomon, Shlomo in Hebrew, means, which means peace, was one of the youngest sons of King David. Um, he was born to Bathsheba, who was the last of David's wives. As far as we know, um, it's recorded David had six wives, although the Talmud says there were more. Um, and so the, uh, as far as, the, and so Bathsheba was the last of David's wives. David's relationship with Bathsheba actually began with an affair, which is a subject of its own class. And we discussed it when we did the class on King David. The first child that they had together was actually conceived before they were legitimately married. And that child died soon after childbirth. David was devastated with the child's death. However, not long afterwards, Bathsheba got pregnant again, and Solomon was their second child. When he was born, the prophet Natan, Natan Navi, who had admonished David for his affair with Bathsheba, came and told him that God loves this new child, Solomon, and God is calling his name Yedidya. Yedidya means friend of God. Yedid, friend. Ka is God. So he is the friend of God. God loves him. When Solomon was a young child, David promised Bathsheba, his mother, that Solomon would be the next king after him. Even though David had many older sons from his many different wives. He had many older sons who were older than Solomon, older than Shlomo. However, David promised his wife Bathsheba that Shlomo Solomon would be the king after David's death. Now, when David got old, and it was clear that his end was near, his older surviving son at the time, was his name was Adoniah. David had had two older sons, Amnon and Avshalom, both of whom, both of whom had been killed. Amnon had been killed by his own brother. Avshalom had been killed after he led a revolution against King David. Both of them had been killed. Adoniah was the oldest son of David. When he saw David was old and he knew David had no intention of crowning him, the oldest son, as king, he decided to crown himself as king. While his father was still alive, his father was old and weak. 
in order to circumvent Solomon becoming king. Now, according to Seder Olam, which is our um, earliest book of Jewish history, um, Solomon at the time was only 12 years old. Adonia, who had been born before David arrives in Jerusalem, would have been at least in his mid-30s. So he's more than 20 years older than David, than Solomon, than Shlomo. And so Adonia turned to David's loyal general, Yoav. Yoav had been David's general for 40 years. He had been with him when he was on the run from King Saul before he became king, and he had been his loyal general for 40 years. However, Yoav had, over the years, committed a number of crimes um, for which David had not punished him because he was his loyal general. However, Yoav knew that David had every intention of punishing him after his death, after David died. And he would instruct Solomon to punish Yoav. So Adonia, knowing this, got Yoav, the general of David's armies, to join him in proclaiming Adonia as king. He also joined with Evyatar, who was the high priest, who had also been with David from his earliest days. And he called all of his brothers, all the princes, and many of the Jewish leaders. He called them together. They went outside of Jerusalem, and together they went to anoint Adonia as king, called everyone except for Solomon. David had no idea that this was going on that Adonia was being proclaimed king. And they had this big celebration outside of Jerusalem, they had this big celebration in which they crowned Adonia as king, all the leadership, the high priest, the general, all the leadership, all the, all the princes, without David's knowledge. The prophet Natan heard about what was happening, and he hurried to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and told her, Go to the king and tell him what's happening. If Adonia becomes king, then you and Solomon will be killed because Adonia will be afraid that Solomon will be a threat to his rule. So you better go tell the king to save your life. So Bathsheba ran quickly to the king and she begged him to save her and her son Solomon. You promise, she said, that you promised by God's name that day you swore that day that Solomon will become king, and now how can you let Adonia become king? So David, though old, was still sharp. David immediately called Benoyahu Ben Yehoyada, who had been his loyal advisor, um, perhaps his chief bodyguard, and uh, he calls uh, Benoyahu and has him call the Kohen Tzadok who was a leading Kohen that David trusted, um, together with the prophet Natan, and had them go bring King Solomon, take him with him, ride him in David's royal chariot, and ride him outside of Jerusalem to the Gihon stream that flows just east of Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem. And there next to the stream, because they would always proclaim kings next to a stream, um, there next to the stream they should place King David's crown on Solomon's head and proclaim Solomon as king. And so they did that. They went down, Natan Benoyahu, um, together with Tzadok HaKohen, together with Natan the prophet, took Solomon in the royal chariot. People saw it. They followed um, in front of a big crowd from Jerusalem. 
they, uh, right outside Jerusalem by the Gichon Brook, they proclaimed Solomon as king. And then they rode him through the streets of Jerusalem. People came out celebrating Solomon as king. They brought him into the palace. They sat him down on David's throne. And all of the... Um, and all of David's servants came to bless the new king, Solomon, who was sitting at David's throne. Adonia and all of his supporters who were outside of Jerusalem, who had just proclaimed Adonia as king, hear that Solomon is king. He's already in the palace sitting on the throne. And all of the king's servants are blessing him. And the city of Jerusalem is celebrating his coronation. And they realize that their scheme had been foiled. Adonia and all of his supporters fled. Solomon sent for Adonia. Adonia fled to the temple, which was in Givon at the time. And he, Solomon sent for Adonia, brought him to him, and said he's, he's welcome to go home peacefully so long as he remained loyal to him. Indeed, later, Adonia is going to rebel against King Solomon, and King Solomon had him later had him killed. Shortly afterwards, King David died and Solomon became king. At the time, according to the Midrash, according to Seder Olam, he was only 12 years old. He was a 12-year-old boy, young boy. David, at the very end of his life, gave Solomon a long list of instructions, all sorts of scores to settle. And David, in his instructions, in his final instructions to Solomon, recognizes Solomon's brilliance. And he tells him when settling scores with these powerful people, um, do it smartly. And so indeed, Solomon does. He has Yoav killed the general, David's loyal general, who himself had been guilty of murder, among other crimes um, throughout David's reign. But David had been afraid to harm him because of his loyalty to David. Um, and because of his, he was known as a powerful general. Solomon had him killed, especially after he had led the, um, he had led the um, coronation of Adonia against David's wishes. Um, then Solomon, uh, then uh, he also had him, um, uh, he also punished uh, Evyatar, the high priest. He had him banished, he took away his, Role gave it to Tzadok HaKohen. He had an old nemesis of David, Shimi, punished. Um, he also rewarded those that had helped David, that David had not had a chance to act ad adequately reward, Barzillai Hagiladi. And so Solomon then was king and secured his throne. Though he was only a 12-year-old boy, he was already recognized by his father as being very wise. After becoming king, Solomon went to Givon. At the time, the Ark of the Covenant had already been brought by David to Jerusalem and placed on the Temple Mount inside a tent um, because they had planned on building the temple there on the Temple Mount. However, meanwhile, there was a temporary temple near Jerusalem in a town called Givon. Um, the temple that had stood in Shiloh for over 300 years had been destroyed um, a couple decades earlier, and um, the main temple stood in Givon, though without the Ark. Solomon went over there to offer sacrifices over there in Givon, he offered a thousand sacrifices to God. That, that night he went to sleep in Givon. When he was sleeping, God came to him in a dream. And God said, I was with your father, David, um, and I asked for anything that you want, and I will grant it for you. 
And so Solomon asked God for a listening heart and the ability to discern between good and evil. God was pleased with his request, and God granted him greater wisdom than anyone that existed before him and anyone that will exist after him, making Solomon the wisest of all men, or the wisest of all people. That's what it tells us in the book of Malachim and the book of Kings. And so God said to Solomon, since you asked such a good request, together with wisdom and together with a listening heart, you will also get, you'll also have power, you will have wealth and everything else that comes with wisdom. Right afterwards, we are told, Solomon came back to Jerusalem and two prostitutes came to him and they had an argument. They wanted him to resolve their argument. They said that they lived together and they each had a baby boy three days apart. And one night, one prostitute said, I was sleeping in my bed, and this other woman, her baby died in the middle of the night. And so she took her baby and put her baby next to me and took my baby and brought my baby into her bed. And the other prostitute said, no. The other woman said, no, it's not true. Um, my baby is the live baby and her baby is the dead baby. And each one argued, each one claiming that the live baby was their baby. And so Solomon repeated their arguments, and this the whole story is described in the book of Malachim, in the book of Kings. Um, the, Solomon says, so you say that this is your baby, the, uh, that your baby is the live baby and the dead baby is the other one. And this woman says that her baby is the live baby. And then he says, well, let her bring me a sword. And he says, I will cut the live baby in half. Each one of you will get half of the live baby. And one woman said, no, no, do not cut him in half. Let the other woman have, her, have him. Well, the other woman said, yes, cut him in half. We'll each have half. And so Solomon turns to the one who said, do not cut this child in half and said, that is the true mother. And indeed, the other woman admitted, yes, it is true. My baby died and I switched the babies. Um, the other woman is the true mother. And so everyone recognized Solomon's wisdom. Now, the Talmud points out that this is not real justice. Um, you cannot really, the Talmud points out, you cannot really um, execute justice in such a way. There was no real evidence. You've got to have evidence. Um, there was no, until the woman admitted that is. There was no real evidence. Um, you cannot threaten to cut a baby in half. Or, you know, one woman was simply smarter. Um, and so that is, uh, that would not be proper carriage of ca carrying out of justice. However, it definitely showed Solomon's great wisdom. And so we're told that he was wiser than the Eastern peoples, B'nai Kedem. He was wiser than the Egyptians who were very wise. He was wiser than Eitan HaEzrahi and Haman, who either were great sages of the day, or they are references to Adam to Abraham, to Moses, to, Israel, to our great Jewish heroes. Solomon was the wisest of them all. We're told he was familiar with trees and plants, with animals, birds, rodents, and fish. He was a great zoologist, a great botanist. He understood the plants, he understood um, rodents, the fish, 
We see his great building. We see he was also a great architect. He was a great builder. According to our tradition, he wrote three books that are found in our holy scriptures. The book of Shir Hashirim, which means Song of Songs, which is a beautiful story about a, um, two people who fall in love. And then the um, man disappears. So, uh, then the, um, sorry, then the woman disappears, um, runs away from her lover, and um, her husband comes to find her, and um, he is seeking her, and she doesn't want to, she doesn't respond, she doesn't want to come out, but then she comes back and she wants him, and he says, you weren't there for me, until finally they reconnect. And while it appears as a love story, it is clear that the story was written um, and was included in our holy scriptures because it is a story of our relationship with God. God connected to us at Sinai, made us his chosen people, then we rejected him. As a result, God then rejected us, and then God, though, then brought us back. And so um, the story of the Song of Songs was written by King Solomon. It begins in the word Shira Shirim, Asher Lishlama, Song of Songs written by King Solomon, um, as well as um, the book of Proverbs, Mishlei, which is a lot of wise proverbs and statements, and it begins with the words Mishlei Shlomo, the Proverbs of Solomon, and um, as well as the book of Ecclesiastes or Kohelet. Kohelet is a book that points out how we spend so much time chasing so many things that appear to be so valuable, and yet they are truly meaningless. They truly have such little value. And so it begins the words, Divrei Kohelet ben David, Melech Yerushalayim, the words of Kohelet, son of David. The king in Jerusalem clearly refers to Solomon, the son of David, who was king. And so Solomon was also the author of Kohelet. He wrote these three books. The Midrash tells us that not only did Solomon understand animals and plants, he also understood the language of the animals. He understood when the animals spoke what they were saying, when the birds spoke what they were saying. The Midrash tells us he understood all the secrets of Judaism, all the secrets of the Torah. He understood the reasons for all of the commandments. In the book of Malachim, in the book of Kings, it tells us how the queen of Sheva, or in English often pronounced as Sheba, heard about King Solomon's wisdom and came to visit him um, to hear his wisdom and bring him great gifts. The Midrash tells us the different riddles that she um, that she challenged him with and how he resolved each one. There's some debate of where Shabbat actually is. Ethiopians claim that it's Ethiopia. In fact, um, the Ethiopians have a claim, claim that, or have claimed for many years, that um, they are descendants of a union between King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Um, there are many Midrashic stories about their interactions although there is no Jewish source about any romantic relationship between Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Uh, there are non-Jewish sources that suggest that. There's one very questionable Jewish source, but generally there are no Jewish sources um, about any romantic relationship between the Queen of Sheba and King Solomon. Um, it's more likely she came on ships. It's more likely Sheba um, is also mentioned earlier in the Torah as a um, Arabic 
land. So it was more likely to be in Arabia, a place in Arabia, maybe Yemen. Yemenites claim that it was them as well, um, or maybe even possibly as far as India. Um, but she does come on boats. So came from somewhere that was a boat ride away. Um, so then the book of Malachim, the book of Kings, describes King Solomon, his wealth and his power in very, very great detail. Solomon inherited a massive empire from his father that stretched from, massive for the time, from Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River, which would be in northern Syria, covering all of modern Israel, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon, or what the entire what's called Levant, the eastern uh, coast of the Mediterranean. He married Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, we don't know her name. She's always referred to as Bat Paro, the daughter of Pharaoh, bringing him in an alliance with the Egyptians, although he seems to have had a complex relationship with Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh supports some of his enemies. And he also has a great relationship with all the kings whom he controlled, who were under his reign, such as including, um, he had a very close relationship with Hiram, who was the king of Tyre, or Sur in Hebrew. Tyre is a town in Lebanon today. In the book of Kings, Malachim describes his immense wealth to the, to the point that it says that Kesef en Klum, money was totally worthless. He was so wealthy. In just one year, we are told, he received six, in, as part of his income, he got 666 talents of gold. A talent is 2,000 ounces, or 125 pounds of gold. So he got 600 times that in gold. Um, huge, huge amount of gold. That was just one year's worth. He had many copper and iron mines, we are told. Um, in fact, we have discovered, from our, in archaeological digs, we've discovered a number of his copper mines that he had all over Israel in the um, Negev Desert, east of the Jordan. We found a number of copper mines. The Book of Malachim said, he had 40,000 stables for his horses, uh, of horses for his chariot. He had 12,000 riders that worked and trained these horses. We are told he also had a thousand wives, uh, of which Pharaoh's daughter appears to have been his main wife. She's mentioned multiple times. Now, each of these things we should point out are all in. Um, breaking the rules mentioned in the Torah in this week's Torah reading, where we said a king is not allowed to have too much gold and silver, not allowed to have too many horses, and not allowed to have too many wives. He clearly broke all three of those rules. The Talmud says that the Torah gives a reason why you should not have too much of these things so that it does not turn his heart away from God. Solomon said, I can break these rules and my heart will not turn away from God. As we'll see soon, he was gravely mistaken. He believed in, his, in himself a little bit too much. Solomon also built extensively. The most notable thing that he built was the first temple. King David had already set aside the Temple Mount and built the foundations, brought the Ark of the Covenant to the Temple Mount, but he did not actually build the temple. The prophet Natan had told him 
that he should not build the temple since he's a man of war. Rather, his son will build the temple. He'll be a man of peace. And so he built the first temple, which is described in very, very great detail in scripture. He built it, bringing down cedars from Lebanon. Lebanon today is a country, but then it was a mountain range that was covered in cedar forests. Um, and so he used those cedars as wood to build the Lebanon. Um, they built them into rafts, which they floated down the Mediterranean and then carried up to um, carried up from the coast up to Jerusalem. That's how they transported them in very large numbers. Um, Hiram, the king of Pari, also sent many craftsmen, thousands of craftsmen to help him build the temple. He found another fellow by the same name, Hiram, um, a Jew uh, who uh, from Naphtali, who worked, who led the building of the temple. Most, no, the most notable part, perhaps, that a number of notable things in the temple, he built great pillars that were called Yachin and Boaz um, on either side of the temple. But the most notable thing was the Yam Shoshlamo, the Pool of Solomon. There was a washing pool um, from which there were faucets that um, Kohanim used to wash their hands and feet. Solomon built a perfectly round pool. To build things, today we building round things, wheels is very common. Then making a wheel was a difficult thing. Building things that were perfectly round um, was a difficult thing to do. Um, the uh, Book of Kings describes how Solomon figured out that if the pool will be um, 10 cubits wide, it will be 30 cubits in circumference, with the circumference being three times its diameter. And so he was the first one to at least get a general sense of pi. And that's the first recording we have of that knowledge that circles will always, the circumference will always be about three times the diameter. Today we know it's 3.147 um, with a very long number that continues after that. Um, he also built himself a beautiful palace. Um, he built himself a throne with seven steps with animals all along the throne that helped lift him up the steps um, that would make noise as he would sit down, described also in the Book of Kings in great detail. He built a palace for his queen, the Pharaoh's daughter. He also built a wall around Jerusalem to protect Jerusalem um, in case there is ever an invasion. He built cities across Israel, fortified cities across Israel. Um, he fortified storage centers for grain in case there's ever a war. There will be, Israel will be secure. It will have um, stored grain, fortified grain. He also built ports, including a port in Etzion Gavar, which is today the, sea, the port of Eilat. Um, and he sent many merchant ships, both in the Mediterranean to the Greek islands, as well as in the great, as well as from the Red Sea, he sent uh, merchant ships, making Israel a great center for trade. Israel was um, uh, bordered two great seas, um, from which it was at the time before any canal, Suez Canal. It was hard to transfer things from the Mediterranean to the Red Sea, and so he, Israel, became the center essentially for um, merchants from the Mediterranean to bring their wares, and then merchants from the Asia and East Africa to then bring their wares to Israel, and then they can exchange things from the East with things from the West. And so um, Solomon, the land of Israel at the time, became extremely wealthy. 
um, the term used a couple times in scriptures, ishtachat gafno v'ishtachat nato. Everybody sat comfortably um, under their grapevine and under their um, fig tree, uh, and uh, everybody was um, everybody was comfortable. He did institute in order to support his building and his thousand wives. He did institute very high taxes that later would become a problem. The people were crushed by his tax burden, which they resented. Despite his great wisdom, Solomon, as we've seen, had a lot of weaknesses. We mentioned how he had too much money, too many horses, and too many wives, all of which the Torah had warned against, and he broke those rules. We are told that he was led astray by his wives. He allowed his wives to build altars for their idols. Many of his wives were, non, were not Jewish. Um, our sages say that all of his wives converted in accordance with Jewish law. However, their conversion was not genuine. They didn't convert, in order to convert to Judaism, a person has to accept to follow all of God's commandments, which they did, so they were, they were converts. However, and he was allowed to marry them, however, their conversions were not genuine because they then reverted back to their own idol worship. And Solomon allowed them to do so. He didn't protest. They're worshiping their idols. Um, and in the mountain opposite Jerusalem, he allowed them to build altars to their idols and worship their idols, bringing idol worship back to the land of Israel. In the book of Kings, it says that Solomon himself worshipped idols, although the Talmud tells us that Solomon himself did not actually worship idols, but did allow his wives to worship idols. As a result, um, he, faced, um, he faced a lot of challenges later in his reign. He was king like his father for 40 years. But later in his reign, God, he faced many challenges. Um, God came to him and told him that his kingdom, as a result of his, um, as a result of his transgressions, his kingdom would be taken away from him. But in honor of his father, David, and because God loves David, it will not happen during his lifetime, but after his death. And even so, God had promised his father, David, that his descendants would be king over Israel forever. However, they'll be limited to being king over one tribe, while the other tribes will have another king. And Solomon would be himself would be punished. Solomon told that he himself would be punished. The Talmud tells us, well, the, the book of Kings speaks of a rebellion led by a fellow called Yeravam. The Talmud, who was Yeravam? Yeravam, so Solomon appointed different leaders over Israel, different governors. He split Israel into 12 regions, which were not necessarily the 12 tribes, the 12, 12 general administrative regions, and he had a governor in charge of each region. The most important region was the region of Ephraim and Manasseh, the mountains of Ephraim, which is the area north central Israel, north of Jerusalem. Why? Because that region was inhabited by the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, the tribes of the house of Joseph. They were the, that was the largest and most powerful tribes other than Judah, which was the tribe that Solomon came from. So Ephraim was a tribe, Ephraim and Manasseh were tribes that Solomon needed to pacify. So he appointed Yeravim as the leader of the, as the governor of the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. 
However, Yeruvim led a rebellion against King Solomon. The Talmud tells us it wasn't really a rebellion. What happened was it was really a protest. What happened was his they, King David, when he designed the city of Jerusalem, um, he designed next to the temple a large open area right next to the temple that was called the Milo. The Milo was an open area, and the, it was an area set aside for pilgrims. When pilgrims would come to the temple for the festival, they would be able to bring tents, and they would be able to set up tents in the Milo. It would be an open area next to the temple, and a convenient spot where they could set up their tents. Solomon's wife, the daughter of Pharaoh, had begged him to build her, her, a, her own palace, and so Solomon found empty land in the Milo. So he built land in the Milo to, uh, he built the land in the Milo, he built Pharaoh's palace over there. He also secured the walls of Jerusalem for, because he was afraid of invaders. But as a result, it became hard for the pilgrims to get into Jerusalem. They had to go around to the gate. There was no easy entrance. And so when the pilgrims came, they found their spot where they had always placed their tents, was taken now by a palace, was hard to get into the city. So Yeravam, the governor of Ephraim and Manasseh, led a big protest. Jews came and they protested to King Solomon and uh, Yeravam and, uh, said publicly, your father um, had set aside these places and in order to allow um, Jews to easily come to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage, and you have given this to the daughter of Pharaoh, how can you do such a thing? So as a result of leading this protest, Solomon, um, who was a king, and I guess you'd call it today a dictator, decided to have Yeravam killed. Yeravam, as Yeravam fled to Egypt um, before he got caught. On the way, as he was heading towards Egypt, he met the prophet Achia Hashiloni. The Achia Hashiloni grabbed his cloak and ripped it off him. And Achia tore his cloak into 12 pieces, giving him back two of the pieces. 12 of, 10 of the pieces, and keeping two for himself. And he told, he told Yeravim, Achia was a prophet, and he told Yeravim that God said that he's going to tear Solomon's kingdom away. He's going to give you 10 tribes to lead, and while his son Rechavim will have two tribes. And indeed, after Solomon's death, and Achia warned Yeravim that you better follow in God's ways, and then God will allow you and your descendants to be king for many years, though not forever, because only David's family will be king forever. Um, and so, uh, and, uh, and as a result, indeed, after Solomon's death, the people complained to his son Rechavam uh, that the taxes are too high, and he better lower the taxes. When Rechavam refuses to do so, tw ten tribes break away, and you appoint Yeravam as their king. Only two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, remain loyal to Rechavam, and after that, the kingdom of Israel is split for some 200 years. In addition to the rebellion led by Yeravam, Solomon is also um, punished in other ways. He faces a rebellion by the Edomites, which is a land to the south that David had uh, brought under Israel's control, as well as the Arameans to the north in Damascus. Uh, the Arameans were a nation that lived in what today is called Syria. Um, they also rebelled against him. And so um, Solomon faced a lot of challenges later due to his transgressions. 
The Talmud and the Midrashim say in a number of places that not only did he face rebellions, but also Solomon lost his kingdom and became a covenant. The Talmud in the book of Gittin gives us a fascinating story described in very, very great detail, very strange story as to what happened to King Solomon. It's a very strange story, but I will um, share it with you because it's such a good story. Um, I'll share this with you. Um, it's a long story. It goes back to when Solomon built the temple. When Solomon built the temple, he decided that the temple would be built out of stone. Much of the temple was built with wood, but much of it was built with stone. But he was not going to use metal to chisel out the stones because metal is something used in war, in battle. But he had a challenge. How would then he chisel out the stones? So he asked the sages, how can I chisel the stones for the temple without metal? So they told him there's a special worm called the Shamir worm that you put it on stone and it cuts the stone. And that's what Moses did to cut the stones on the aphod, on the um, high priest had stones on his um, cloak and called the aphod. And Moses used the Shamir worm to cut those stones. So he said, well, how do I find the Shamir worms? The sages said, we don't know, but you should try to bring um, shadim or demons these are these um, semi, now we have to do a separate class on Shadim. Shadim, they're often translated as demons, I'm not sure it's the same, but Shadim are mentioned many times in the Midrash as these semi-human, semi-angel creatures um, that are, are sometimes har cause harm to people um, or are up to no good and, um, are, and uh, they live somewhere and uh, they're part human, but they seem to have supernatural powers. And so um, the Talmud mentions Shadim many times. God willing, we'll do a class on Shadim anyway. And so um, he said, bring two Shadim before you, and they will be able to um, tell you where to find this Shamir worm. So Solomon was king of the Shadim. Had, he had ruled over the Shadim as well. And so he brought, had two brought before him, and he asked them, where do I find this Shamir worm that can cut through stone? So they told him, you've got to find our, speak to our king. His name is, um, you've got to speak to our king. Uh, his name is Ashmedai. If you can find our king Ashmedai, the king of the Shadim, then he can tell you where to find the Shamir one. So um, King Solomon sends his trusted general, Benoyahu Ben Yehoyada, um, to try to find this, um, to try to find Ashmedai. And so he, um, and so the, the Shadim tell him where to find him. He's, on, he's at a certain mountain far away. Um, and over there, he has a well that he fills with water every day. And he covers it with a rock and he seals it. With, he seals it and he signs it to make sure that nobody touches it. And every day he ascends to heaven. And then he comes down and he um, drinks from his um, water uh, and then um, goes to sleep. So, and then he disappears. So anyway, Solomon sends Benoyah, ben Yoyada, tells him how to catch this Ashmedai. He sends him a, he gives him a chain that have God's name engraved on it, as well as a ring with God's name on it. He gives him some wool and some, and, um, 
and bar and um, and skins with filled with wine. Anyway, he comes there. He finds this Benoyal finds this well of water with Ashmedai's seal. He wets, waits for Ashmedai to seal it, and then he goes. The well is on a mountain. He goes a little lower down the mountain, and he digs a hole. And he's able to, from that hole, get into the well and drain all the water in Ashmedai's well. Then he goes a little bit higher. Then he covers up that hole that he had dug. Then he drains. Then he goes a little bit higher up the mountain, digs another hole that connects to Ashmedai's well. And he fills Ashmedai's well with wine. And then he seals that second hole. Ashmedai then comes back. He finds that his... Um, he finds that his um, well is still sealed. He opens the seal and he sees, he smells straight away. It's not water, but it's wine. Um, Ashmedai is, um, sorry, I forgot to mention, he used the wool to then cover, block the hole of the lower well so that the, um, so that the wine won't drain down into the lower well that he had dug. Um, so anyway, so then he, um, Ashmedai then um, sees that it's wine. He doesn't want to drink the wine, as it says, in, as Solomon wrote in Proverbs, um, that you drink wine, um, it makes a person um, foolish and make mistakes um, and leads them to um, immorality. At first he refused to drink it, but then he's very thirsty, and so he drinks the wine, and as a result he falls asleep right there and then. As he's sleeping, Benoyal takes the chains with God's name on it, places it on him. When he wakes up, he sees he's placed in chains, and um, Benoyal tells him, you cannot break those chains because it has God's name on them. And so Ashmedai is forced to go with him. Um, Talmud tells a number of stories that happen on their way as they come back to Jerusalem. Anyway, eventually he brings him back to Jerusalem. He comes before King Solomon. King Solomon then asks him, where can I find the Shamir worm? Ashmedai says, why have you brought me here? King Solomon says, where can I find the Shamir worm? He said, the Shamir worm was, I gave the Shamir worm to the um, minister of the sea, the angel in charge of the sea, who gave it to the wild rooster. You got to find the wild rooster. So he asks him where to find the wild rooster. He tells him where he is. Solomon sends messengers again with a plan to get the Shamir worm from the wild rooster. They find the wild rooster in the rooster's nest. When the rooster leaves the nest, they place a piece of glass covering the nest. The rooster comes back, and the rooster um, sees the glass covering its young, and it can't get in. And so it goes and disappears, and a few moments later comes back with a shamir worm in its beak. And so they make a lot of noise. They scare the rooster, and the rooster drops the shamir worm. So now they have the Shamir worm, which they're able to use to cut the stones for the temple. Meanwhile, though, Solomon didn't let Ashmedai go. He kept him chained in his palace, in the, yard, in the garden of his palace. One day, um, Solomon, is, um, Solomon is walking in the garden, and he comes by Ashmedai, and he says to Ashmedai, I have a question. It, tell, it, uh, it says that God took us out of Egypt like the um, toafot re'em, or like the strength of a re'em. Re'em is usually translated as a kind of buffalo, kind of big um, cow-like animal. Um, but um, Solomon says we have a tradition that re'em refers to the shadim. 
So what makes you so strong? So, um, so Ashwadai says, I can show you, but first you got to take off my chains and give me your ring that has God's name on it. So Solomon gives him the ring with God's name on it, takes off his chains. Um, the way that this is the way the Talmud describes it. He has, um, he, uh, when he does that, um, uh, when he does that, he um, spreads out his wings. One wing is at the heaven, one wing is, wing is on the earth. And then he threw Solomon a distance of 400 parsa. A parsa is about two miles. So this 400 parsa would be about 800 miles away. Solomon lands safely, but he's now far away from his throne. And Solomon then says that, and that's what he, that's what Solomon, that's why Solomon wrote in Kohelet, what gain do you have from all your hard labor? Um, this is my porch from all my labor. I worked so hard and I got back to nothing. Anyway, he's stuck. All he has is clothing on his back. He can wander from town to town. Wherever he goes, he claims he's King Solomon. Nobody believes him. Everyone thinks he's crazy. He's a pauper begging for food, begging for alms. And uh, meanwhile, the um, meanwhile, Ashmedai, um makes himself look like King Solomon, goes into the palace and acts as king, except suddenly the king has become miserable and mean. And so anyway, Solomon goes from place to place, from town to town, until finally he makes it to Jerusalem. He comes to Jerusalem, he goes to the Supreme Council, and he tells them that he is, um, that he is King Solomon. Everyone thought he was crazy. He's just a pauper claiming to be King Solomon. But the sages say, no, he appears to be normal. He seems like a normal person. He only has one crazy thing that he claims to be King Solomon. Maybe it's true. So they called Benoyahu, who had been the king's trusted general. And they said, have you been to the king recently? Benoyahu says, no, king doesn't, doesn't let me in anymore. And so um, they thought that's strange. They called his mother, um, Bathsheba. They said, have you been to the king recently? And she said, no, he doesn't let me in anymore. And so they sent in, um, they, went, they went into his, um, with Solomon into the throne room unannounced. And, um, um, and they said, uh, and they saw that he had um, webbed feet. Apparently, Shadim have webbed feet. And um, they brought, and uh, as soon as he saw Solomon, he flew away and disappeared. And, um, but that's why it says in, but Solomon remained scared of him for the rest of his life. And that's why it says in um, Song of Songs that around the bed of Solomon were 60 strong men, each with swords set around his bed because Solomon remained afraid for the rest of his life. It's a very strange story. Um, it deals with this concept of Shadim, these um, interesting creatures, we could say, uh, what exactly they are is a subject of its own, as well as the Shamir worm, a very fascinating thing as well. Whether it, the story is meant to be taken at face value or not, I do not know. However, the, the story is definitely a fascinating one, and it shows us how even a man as great as Solomon can also fall and can go back to be a regular person. So while Solomon is remembered for his great wealth, his great power, Solomon's time was the height of Israel's glory and power. Um, when we speak of Israel's greatest time, we always re refer to the days of Solomon. When we speak of wealth, we always speak of the wealth of Solomon. In fact, we're told that 
the biblical history of Israel, the Talmud says, is like the cycle of the moon. Starts off very small, it gets big, and then it starts getting small again. And just as the moon cycle is a 30-day cycle, where it reaches its peak on the 15th day, so too Solomon was 15 generations from Adam, from Abraham. Solomon was the 15th generation from Abraham, and so Israel reached its peak in the days of Solomon, and then 15 generations later, his descendant Yechaniah um, was exiled to Babylon and the temple was destroyed. And the first temple was destroyed. So in this biblical period was essentially a period going from Abraham to the days of Yechaniah, 30 generations. It reached its peak, generation 15, in the days of King Solomon. King Solomon was the peak of the greatest time for Israel. But more than anything, King Solomon is remembered for his wisdom. His proverbs, the lessons that he taught us um, in life, and books that are still studied today, many commentaries have been written on his books. Uh, he's particularly noted for his final book, the Book of Kohelet. The Book of Kohelet was the wisdom that he learned after losing his throne, which begins by saying, Hevel havalim hakol hevel. Vanity of vanities are nothing of nothing, everything is nothing. And he says, as we quote a moment ago, What gain do you gain from all of those things that you work for under the sun? You work and you work, and what do you gain from? And it has many wise things, but it points out Kohelet again and again, how we spend so much time trying to figure things out, trying to grow, trying to build a career, trying to build assets, trying to build a name for ourselves. And all of it is of little value. The only thing that is of true value is the good that we do. And something that Solomon perhaps came to recognize at the end of his life, but recorded for us. And so what we have from Solomon today more than anything else is Solomon's great wisdom that stands with us today.